0: In every real estate transaction, something comes up that the buyer or seller may have a question about. But in the heat of the moment, the question goes unanswered. Each episode, I talk with real estate experts and real estate vendors to provide a look at what goes on behind the scenes in the real estate world to get you answers. I blend in local Santa Cruz history, add some tips and tricks, all designed to help you be successful in your next real estate project. Tell your friends you can't talk right now because you are with the Realtor Lady. All right, we have Tatiana here. So please tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and what you do and um, maybe just a tiny bit of what Wings does. I don't think we have enough time to talk about what they do. Um, And then we'll get into the myths about uh, the homeless population here in Santa Cruz and legislation And maybe some things about um, what people can do.
1: Hi. um, Well, my name is Tatiana Stone. And I do communications and development for Wings Advocacy. And Wings Advocacy is a small local nonprofit that is volunteer-powered and They help people on the journey out of homelessness. So they help people reduce barriers to housing by getting vital documents, which are needed for getting a job and getting housing, et cetera. And they also help give people stabilizing supplies once they move into permanent housing, which is a key piece of the puzzle after people are no longer homeless to make sure that they have what they need to succeed in their new housing. Well,
0: because promotion is what you do of our organization. You did that very well. I think I would have taken the full half hour and done that. So, well, <laughs> Glad to help. Um, and I'll just jump in and say what I do. I'm not sure if in the intro, I put that in there. I uh, do notarization to help them get the birth certificate. And I have um, a, what, like about an hour and a half in Watsonville every about three weeks or so to help people. Get their paperwork in. So, go ahead and start with misinformation. What, what, what's one of the top three myths?
1: I can't say that word. I next. think the top myth that I hear from people repeatedly is that people who are homeless in Santa Cruz must be from somewhere else. Uh-huh. And sometimes that myth gets perpetuated so far is to people say really high percentages. Um, Sometimes they say all of the people, sometimes they say most. And the data we have consistently, and I say this because it's every two years, we do a point in time count. It's basically a census of people experiencing homelessness in Santa Cruz. And now the schedule was a little messed up by uh, COVID recently, But previous to that, it's been going on for quite a while, every two years. And there is a survey component where we actually send volunteers and uh, staff out into the community and interview people experiencing homelessness and talk to them about a number of things on the census questions. And one of those questions is, where did you live prior to becoming homeless? That's a real important question. And when we're coached uh, to... Give these surveys, we're coached to make sure to not do any leading answers or anything like that. It's very important that there's strong data integrity. And we're taught to have a conversation with people if they're a little confused, where did you live? Well, they start giving you an address or something. And so you go, okay, well, where was that? And so that's all to give you how that data is collected. Now, again, every two years, so time after time, the data has borne out that around 75% of people currently. Experiencing homelessness during the time the survey was done, lived in Santa Cruz prior to becoming homeless. And I'll say that again. Around 75% of people experiencing homelessness lived in Santa Cruz housed prior to becoming homeless. And I think that that's a really important thing to realize that there's also about 60% of those people lived here for uh, more than a couple years. So it wasn't like they just moved and became homeless. They lived here, they were established residents.
0: I was doing an intake with a gentleman and realized about midway through I went to high school with him. And it was pretty jarring. And, and then um, I worked with some families. I recognized the older sister. And I understood some people that I was working with. They were members of families that I knew. And I know we talked about it in our pre-conversation that I want to add in here is there are a lot of families that they've had uh, children, they've had a lot of children. And when that parent dies, they're typically a lot older. And that that safety net for that younger child who may have not had the uh, means to figure out how to take care of themselves, lose their safety net. And what turns out is their siblings are much older and not in any position to help them. That's very prevalent in Watsonville for, for very large families. There doesn't seem to be any room left in those families or bandwidth left. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to judge them, but. It,
1: no, it's, it, it's.
0: Yeah, it's just frustrating too because I, it's like that whole familial system that was there for so many years and helped so many of those other members of that family, and they're all you know housed. It and this particular person just, and they can't kind
1: of figure out how to do it on their own. It's actually pretty common for multi generational households in poverty. Um, And this is true across the U.S., that this is a common thing where sometimes the older generations either maybe they own the property or maybe they're uh, grandfathered into some sort of rent control in places that have that. Uh, Maybe they have a lease that's only in their name or a housing voucher only in their name that is non-transferable to their dependents, who are sometimes not their direct dependents too. It's important to remember in multi-generational families, it isn't just a direct line we think of, you know, son and then- daughter and then whatnot. Sometimes it can be nephews and nieces and and all kinds of blended family makeup. And sometimes they're dependent on just a couple people who help make sure that the roof stays there. And once those people are gone, there's really not a lot of other options for them. And also I've had the same experience of working with people and realizing, gosh, I went to high school with this person. Or Mm. sometimes even worse, I went to elementary school with these people. Yeah. Cause I did all of my schooling in Santa Cruz, you know, all the way from kindergarten through high school. And so there's a lot of people that I came in contact with, just because, you know, and a lot of people I recognized all going through school. You go to school with the same people. Santa Cruz isn't that big. Right. And so to see some of them now, when I walk down the street and they're, you know, with a big cart, and I see them outside all the time and I go, gosh, I remember that person. And these are people who have been in the community for decades, right? Not just like some fly by night, you know, (laughs) not that that wouldn't be okay. You know, a lot of people moved to Santa Cruz too. And another thing to bring up is that that 75% of people experiencing homelessness who were living in Santa Cruz previous to becoming homeless, that stat mirrors the housed population around 70 ish percent of housed people living in Santa Cruz are from Santa Cruz, meaning they lived here for a while or were born here, and thirty percent moved from outside. So it's a pretty similar demographic makeup, and it's it's just
0: ingenuous to the, the the homeless population to blame them for coming to this community when Monday morning in the Sentinel every week, Eric, uh, I think it's Ross Gibson, Gibbs, Gibbs. He talks about the people who come to our community from other areas as far back as the early 1800s. And it's every week. And a lot of times those people end up moving around. It's it's amazing to me how hard it was for them to move around and how much they did move around and didn't just plant roots in Santa Cruz and stay. I mean, if you go back in time, we are just a, an area that has a lot of transition going on, you know, and, and people coming in going. So we have to keep that in mind too. I, I always have to remind people it's like, Oh, the rich people are moving here. It's like millionaire row on West cliff drive is I think over 150 years old now that those were not one of those people were from here. Yeah. The millionaires have been one. coming here for a while. So we we need, to, <laughs> we need to, we need to, we need to keep all that in
1: perspective. I feel like Santa Cruz has had a kind of hard time adapting over the past uh, maybe four or five decades from when it used to be a bedroom community, you know, pre-UCSE sort of. Mm -hmm. And then it became something else and it turned into a real haven for artists and other people. But that was back when it was more affordable. When my family first moved to Santa Cruz when I was six years old, Uh, We moved there so my mom could go to school, which is a common scenario for lots of people I've talked to who've moved to Santa Mm -hmm. Cruz. And there was a lot more options for housing and a lot more affordability. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has just really drastically changed, which adds to the homelessness problem. Affordable housing is a huge component of that. And I don't just mean affordable housing that's, um, you know, by legislation, affordable, But also just housing that is more in line with what people are making in 1995 and 1993 and stuff. When we were looking for places, there were more options. But even then, um, it was still really hard. So this this is a problem that has been growing for a long time. People might have only seen the encampments in the last couple of years, but it is not a new problem.
0: Right, right and that's really true I also understand too it's people need to understand how where housing has gone and that's for a whole different conversation of families who have owned homes and maybe the families would have lived together a little longer than they do now but if they have an extra if they have an extra house then that family member may go live in that and on our street we have a house that was a rental that became a family member's rental. They rent it from the owner, but I believe it's an aunt and you'll hear more of that. And my own son lives in my rental versus me having any other, a bigger house or having him live on the property. So those are, those are those ties that have also taken up. I mean, he would be renting anyway, but housing has changed
1: Yeah. And it's an important thing to understand, you know, uh, apart from just that one example, that this is a much larger pattern happening all over that as housing becomes more strict, a lot of these are are more tight. um, A lot of these units that people would normally rent to others are rented to family ties, which is fantastic for the family safety net for those people. Like, I, I really think that's a wonderful thing, but at the same time, it means that, you know, then, this housing stock, how are we going to build it? And if it's only these little ADU type things, these accessory dwelling units, you know, how fast is that really going to solve the problem?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, number two, you had for me, why do they stay homeless? Or was it? Why do they?
1: How do they get? Home? I don't know. Yeah.
0: Back over number two for me.
1: Well, a lot of people seem to the the next myth that I hear the most often, and this is kind of a close tie for that other one, is that people who are homeless must want to be homeless oh. and therefore they must stay homeless because they want to be. And I hear this everywhere I go across the country. Um, I have asked people every time I ride in an Uber or anything when I travel for work, People always ask, oh, what are you here for? And if I say work and they say, what do you do? And I talk to them, start talking to them about homelessness. And almost invariably, everyone I talk to anywhere I go in the United States, they say, you know, so why do so many people want to be homeless or some variation of that question? So this is, again, not unique to Santa Cruz, but is still quite prevalent in Santa Cruz. Um, And I think the most important thing that I would want to say to bust that myth is that it is not easy to be homeless. I think some people hear about the services uh, like food and shelter and they imagine a much more comfortable version of those things. You know, when you or I imagine shelter, we imagine our homes and we feel at home there and that feels nice and we have the things we need when we want them. Uh, We can sleep in. We have all these choices. If we're sick, we can stay in the food that we get, we get to choose our food. When you're homeless and you need those basic resources, all of those choices I just talked about, all of those feelings are really gone. When you stay at a shelter, you don't get to sleep in. If you're sick, you have nowhere to go. If you stay at a shelter and you have a pet, you might not be able to bring your pet. You might not be able to bring your child if they're a male over the age of 12 to many different shelters. Wow. You might have to figure out how to separate from your family. You might not be able to stay with your spouse because you have to go to men's and women's barracks. Yeah, All of these things that we think of as our house is, oh, well, that's really cushy. It's not really cushy. And food, you don't get to choose your food. You don't get to choose when you eat. You don't have anywhere to keep your leftovers. You don't have any of the choices that we would have. And choices seems like a luxury to some people, but... It is something that I think is part of real basic human dignity that I understand why we can't offer all of these choices, of course, but it's just so important to remember that it is not easy to be homeless. And when I did the point in time count for a while there, I was working at an agency where I helped organize the point in time count. I was a case manager for a while, and then I worked in administration at one of the homeless services organizations here in town. And I did a lot of the surveys myself, and so over the course of, I think, the four years where we did two surveys, I surveyed about a thousand individuals myself. So a fairly big n number, right, in statistics we're talking about. Not huge, certainly not the whole population, but um, a lot of people. And of all those people, only a handful said they chose to be homeless. And when I asked them what that choice was about, it was because their options were not very good. Their options were either go back to an abusive family mm-hmm. or be homeless and surprised they chose homelessness or their options were to live in this really tiny little, you know, bedroom that their family member or friend made out of a closet and they couldn't bring people over and they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that. And they couldn't have this and they, you know, couldn't use their kitchen. And so shock, they chose to be homeless because they had just a little more autonomy and uh comfort, which is funny because it's still, again, not comfortable, but it means that it's ironically sometimes safer than being in really bad situations for people. So that's what I would say is that, one, it's very not easy to be homeless. It's very difficult finding out where you're going to get fresh water, where you're going to use the bathroom, getting constantly hassled by people, sometimes physically harmed by other members of our community who do not like homeless people
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and with very little recourse from the police should that happen. And the other thing is that when people do choose it, it's usually because it's the lesser of two evils.
0: You touched on so much there. So entirely. much. So I lived in an area where we had a field outside of our window. My kids were little and there was a, a man who lived there and he slept in the field. And he had a pretty decent setup. My, my son got a job at some point and ended up working with him. And found out he was, I be, is it agoraphobic? He actually couldn't mm-hmm. live in a house. He actually yeah. didn't have that option. And he could only live outside. So leading to another point you bring up. So his situation was, I have a job. I have means of taking care of myself. But I have this problem and then he had to make himself safe and that's the other thing people do not understand is the security aspect it's just give it away I mean, there's sometimes when people tell me their situations about their backpacks and wallets and really where it's almost easier for them to give those things to people than deal with the consequences of not and they tell it was me violent. well violent yeah, yeah it's just like he, they took my backpack and you know, as they described to me, I was like, wow, them having your backpack with the your best alternative at that point. And not even being able to keep your documents secure on you. And then every once in a while, I'll meet somebody who has everything with them all the time. And I, and I marvel at them because I understand how hard that is. And I'm, you know, how do they do that? And what is it for them to keep all these very secure documents on them? I should note that Wings does keep birth certificates for people if that helps. Um, But yeah, security. And then I want to just throw in one more thing because in our area, you know that artery between river and one where we have quite a few people crossing. A lot of times I think we see the people who are very egregious in their homeless activities and then they become representative of of a population as a whole. And we only meet... You and I, I don't meet near as many as you do. I only meet the people who are trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I generally don't meet those those people that are making those crossings. I meet people who are very humbled and um, they are inebriated sometimes at some point or they're coming down from something, but they are still people who are interested in changing their circumstances where there's other people that are just like, I'm going to do it and you know, I'm going to be out here, which is a problem because then that becomes your representative of a whole community that you may never meet. I mean, meeting the the, the, the families with children and couples that try to stay together who I believe those couples are, to, am I going off and around? Listen to me, but
1: <laughs> I'm just
0: going to go for it. But the couples that I meet that try to take care of each other, break my heart because I know that they have to spend a lot of, of their time separate because they're not married and the resources to them don't come as easily as a married couples but they're taking care of each other yeah. they may have each other's id or they may be able to and they and they're always in partner you know they have this one can do this and this one can do that and this one can write and this one can't and you know they kind of they work together and when you meet them though you'll never see them walking across the street on a on a red light or you know twirling something you know they're just people trying to survive and and it just seems unfair so that's sorry that's my rant
1: and i think oh, too another one. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's important to back up to the thing you said before about people trying to change their circumstances i would argue that even the people we see doing behaviors that we feel are maladaptive are still trying to change their circumstances sure but they may a not know how Uh, Or B, they might have given up. Yeah. Not necessarily forever, but maybe temporarily. I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but for those listening who have ever experienced any sort of depression um, or know any family members who have, if you've ever known that experience of people where they have trouble getting out of bed, uh, they have trouble doing things. Right. Imagine what that would be like homeless when you do not have that option to stay in bed because literally... Somebody rousts you out of where you are and tells you that they're going to call the cops or perhaps the cops are the ones telling you to leave. And so where do you go when you're feeling that depressed? I mean, A, you don't really have a lot of options. And B, you're probably not going to be caring quite as much about all those things that you and I remember to care about the basic everyday uh, you know societal contract things that we take for granted because we're in a place where we have the capacity to deal with those and that's not even to mention of course the people with other forms of mental illness that might not even be aware of those certain things like red lights yeah. and other stuff uh, which is still very dangerous because people at that intersection actually of one and uh, River Street people die there every mm-hmm. single year mm-hmm. it's not just like oh it happened five years ago that happened every single year. There is more than one person who is hit at that intersection and they are not always crossing when they're not supposed to be. It's really important to understand. It's not just quote, they're not always homeless (laughs) too. There was one, they're not always homeless from the, it is a dangerous, scary intersection. Yeah.
0: Um, bicycles as well. And I'm, I, I don't want to make light of them. I just want to make sure that people don't lump one person who, you know, it, it just, I just don't want that one person who is doing something that you find so terrible for you to just lump everybody in that person's basket for whatever they're doing.
1: And that's the best message, honestly, to take from any of this. If anyone listening remembers just one thing, it's that not all homelessness looks the same, right? Right. It, families are really different sometimes from each other, which are different from individuals, which are different from homeless age youth, which are different from homeless seniors. You know, there are people living in their cars. There are people in tents. I mean, the list I could go on for this entire time, just about all the different types. So to just remember that one person that you see or even five or ten, five or ten is not representative of a population of thousands. That sounds like a really good campaign, like um, uh,
0: just kind of pictures of, you know, consenting members who would. Show I met a you know the gal that you and I met together there in Watsonville and you interviewed her. Um, she she was great. She had so much information for us and was kind of telling us about what was going on. And I felt like I learned a lot from her. And then the the people she was taking care of in her situation, she had like I think a granddaughter. I think she had a few people she was taking care of. I was just. I thought she was
1: amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of really amazing people out there who struggle with homelessness. And I think the other thing, the last big myth that I will bust is that homeless people cannot take care of themselves. Mm. And I think that this is the important thing to note about why this isn't true is because that puts us in a model that we, the house, are the people who have our stuff together. And we, the housed, are the people who know what they need simply because we are housed. And that we should be the ones to tell them when they need things and how they need things. And I think it's really important to just break all that down right now. That is just not the case. There are times where there are people who definitely need help taking care of themselves. And that also happens in housed people. I've met several housed people who have a lot of trouble taking care of themselves, and it doesn't necessarily affect their housing because they have supports they need and they have resources, Mm -hmm. right? We, as the housed people, our job is not to tell homeless people what they need, but to listen and then provide the resources and the safe spaces for them to be able to take care of themselves. Right. They are not inherently, because they are without a house, incapable. Many many people experiencing homelessness have more education than me. Yeah, have more education. I mean, I don't know you about you, but there's some many people who are homeless I've met who have a lot of education. Maybe they have a lot of experience. Maybe they've done stuff for so many decades, things that I would never know how to do. So they know a lot. And this is not just some kind of touchy feely. Everybody gets a consolation prize because they tried. I mean, this is literally true that they have a lot of experience taking care of themselves, and they're still. <clears throat> Pardon <me. sighs> they're still here. So, well, it, you know, I, and, and
0: not to oversimplify it because I think what you're saying is so amazing. I just, I think we need to just all sit back for a minute and really appreciate how hard it is to really just do everything in the world. I mean, just owning a car, getting insurance, paying a bill. They like to take You know, they like to change how you can pay a bill. Now it was, you could go into an office and pay cash and maybe you worked a cash-based business and now they've decided they only want credit cards and you can't get a credit card. And, you know, it's, in our fast-paced tech world, it keeps changing. And for us housed or even people who are completely privileged and I'll just go, I will say I am one of those people. I get completely frustrated sometimes and go, how am I supposed to pay this this bill, what, what do you mean? What do you want from me? And or or I've started a business and the government is ridiculous in how many things they want. And some of these organizations who have sent me bills, um, some of them are not real. Oh yeah. And they stay yeah. down in the bottom. So I think about the seniors. So where's our senior that's being mm-hmm. just fleeced, potentially homeless yep. because they thought they owed money to somebody. I mean, do you, do you so what yeah. I, what I'm, presenting is this large picture of how hard it is, maybe just to kind of deal. And maybe sometimes if you could just live simply on an ADU where someone else paid all those bills and you paid them to do it and you had, um, Mm -hmm. you know, possibly even a caseworker to help you get through the day to day. And then all you do is figure out how to get to the grocery store and hopefully pay for that. food. You know what I mean? I'm saying for some people, they may just need life simplified because it is not simple.
1: And what you're saying is you're really describing permanent supportive housing, uh, you know, for the most part, which is the idea that there are some people who are homeless who have a higher degree of need for support. And the idea is, again, not all homeless people, but there is this subset and uh, they're good candidates for what we call permanent supportive housing, which means they live in housing that has supports built in. So they have a caseworker and they have people to help them with those sorts of things and they're not on their own. Um, And permanent supportive housing is for people of any age who um, basically were chronically homeless, which means they experience a disability as well as homelessness at the same time, or had many bouts of homelessness in the last couple of years and also had a disability. And that is so true about um, the fast-paced tech world we live in is very difficult for us housed people to keep up quite often. Um, with a lot of resources. I know I find myself in that position many times I have over the years and I still continue to. I get something and I don't know how to do it and they need my identification and they need this and that. And every time I do that and I get mad, I stop and imagine what it would be like if I was trying to deal with this when I was homeless. Mm -hmm. If I had to figure out how to call the DMV in the morning when I couldn't charge my phone after I'd been up all night because I was assaulted. Mm -hmm. and I had to stay awake. Like, how terrible is I think it's torture to call the DMV on a good day when I'm feeling good. (laughs) No offense to the DMV. It's just, you know, very stressful. And so, and this is another plug for the Vital Docs work that you do, Michelle, with Wings, is people, when they're trying to do all this difficult stuff, our fast-paced tech world is predicated on identity. That's the way we can do things virtually, is through identity. And when you don't have an ID and you can't get one because you don't have a birth certificate, you are just really screwed. Pardon my language, but you are just really out of luck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I won't go into some of the government organizations who don't realize how hard they are making things. But, you know, um, I have to say I have a new appreciation for California, dealing with some other states. And when I read in the paper, some of the the rights that they're trying to pull back from their citizens, we can see directly in our work how it affects people. And it's terrible. I, at a party when somebody, I'm just like, oh no, you don't want to start with me because I will, (laughs) I am, I, and I, and you know, and I'm self-professed just dealing with the very, very, very tiniest bit and little tiny bit of homeless experience yet getting these grand optic views of of just inherent discrimination of all Mm -hmm. guess what you get to be you get to be part of any group and there's a way for them to take something away from you. And we've seen that and it's it's terrible. And California tries. They try. Yes. I it's true. From what I've seen, I really really think they try and I understand it's difficult and um, I think they do. I feel like the government does understand that there's a lot of quagmire in the system.
1: And common sense legislation, like uh, when birth certificates were made free for people who were born in California, legislation like that has a really big impact. So when things like that come up, either on the ballot or they're on the platform of someone who is running for some office that you are voting for. Think about those kind of things, things that help reduce barriers to people breaking the cycle of poverty, because that's what it's really about. I mean, homelessness is about many things, but poverty and lack of resources is one of the biggest. And they don't, and so if we can help people break those. And yeah. And
0: they don't get those documents to get free stuff. Those are all those are all yeah. basics um, that we should.
1: And they're also to get jobs. Yeah. I talked to a man the other day. I did an interview with him and he was explaining how having a birth certificate is going to allow him to get an above board job. And he brought up some stuff that I had never thought about before where he said, you know, when you have a job and it's on the books, you can make sure your employer pays you.
0: Uh, If you're
1: under the table and your employer says, I don't want to pay you this week, you have no recourse. You have nowhere to go to. You have none of the wage and hour protections that we have fought so hard for for the last almost a hundred years, right? These wage and hour protections that are essential to workers and you don't have them. And if they want you to work 60 hours in a week or they still fire you, you better do it because it's under the table. Like you don't have any of those options. And so that really struck me as like, wow, this guy, he was making it work. You know, he was getting a job and he was working, but he really wanted to get his birth certificate so he could get his ID so he could get a legitimate job. How many people do you run into that have jobs that are
0: homeless? I Um, I don't run into any The people.
1: Yeah, the people that I run into, it feels to me like it's around, I don't know, uh, maybe like two to four out of every 10, (laughs) roughly. And the stats are around 30% are currently employed um, and a percentage then after that are looking. Um, there are a lot of people who are experiencing homelessness who cannot work due to disability. And that is important to note that it's not like they are just choosing to not work because they don't feel like it. Um, and then the other important thing to note is that some people who are experiencing homelessness have a disability and want to work, but will not be hired because there are not jobs available for people with disabilities. That's a really important thing to remember.
0: That kills me. Not
1: everyone has the luxury of getting a job.
0: Yeah. 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 I remember growing up, there was programs in the grocery stores. It seems like they've gone away. That yeah. just seemed like such a, they were always so helpful and um, yeah, just a few kids. I, we went to one, uh, one of the, one of the kids we went to school with at Santa Cruz High, he had a job at the local grocery store and uh, he was part of a special ed program and he, he loved that job. That was everything for You're me. You're a cardinal too. I am a I cardinal. Santa
1: Cruz High, too. Nice, me too. You know, I don't know anything yeah, about that school things. today, but
0: when I went, it seemed <laughs> it seemed very diverse and a lot of different. You know, whenever I talk, because I I am a realtor and I use and I represent the community, so I you know I'm talking whenever I talk about Santa Cruz High, it's just always glowing because I hung out with so many different facets of the, the community. And I just thought it was great. And I thought if that was the kind of experience that you wanted for your kid, I think you can still get it there of just, um, kind of, you know, just there's a large, there's a lot of large slices, different lives there, which I think is a really good way to go to school.
1: When I was there in the early two thousands, um, I knew a lot of other students who deliberately chose to go there, even though they weren't in the regular district because it was a more diverse school. I heard that a lot. Um, again, I don't know how that is because it's been a while since I was in school. Um, but yeah, the diversity of Santa Cruz County is another thing that I think is hard for people to grasp because, and this is a, a bigger thing. It's hard for us to understand larger numbers than we see, right? Just as humans. So if we see maybe 100 homeless people, we think that that is somehow representative of the whole population, when maybe that's such a small fraction. Um, And realistically, it probably is because our homeless point in time count, the one that we do every two years that I mentioned earlier, the census, it counts people experiencing homelessness on a single day. Mm. And that's the number. So our most recent number, uh, I believe, was 2167, 2,167 people, and that was in 2019. Um, And we're planning on doing another count uh, in about 20 days at the end of this month, um, delayed Mm -hmm. from COVID again. But so that 2,167 is actually just people on a single night. So people who are experiencing homelessness throughout the whole year, unique individuals, is definitely more, mm. um, and when I used to work for some agencies, I know that we would see around three times the pit count in a year of unique individuals coming for various services. So it's a statistical lower bound, and it's important to remember that our individual experiences with homeless people are probably too small to make generalizations, and and that goes for honestly any group. Your experience with X is probably too small to generalize about the larger population and just something for our own internal bias, as we all work towards a more equitable view and a more equitable future and seeing the future we want. This is a really concrete thing we can do is to help remember that our experience is really small and to help tell everyone else that when they say, well, I've met four people and they all said this. So I think a hundred percent of the people say that it's just not how it works. Yeah.
0: I, I've, met a nice slice and I, they they all have very different experiences. I think one of the other things I was always surprised is, um, they did have a place to go. Um, we had one who lived behind our building. Um, I don't think this was his name, but he told me his name was Jack and he would play music and I, people would try to, um, tell him to go away. And I was like, why would you tell him to go away? He's fine. And and he keeps other people from sleeping there and he's happy there. So, and, and that got everybody to kind of calm down, but then the other building decided he needed to go. Well, he, when he left, his brother finally convinced him to come home, but I don't think that was a real amiable situation for him. But when Jack mm, left, we had a really nasty group move in because it was there was this little yeah. hallway that that was there and he managed to kind of keep him out I was trying to get people to understand it's like why it's fine yeah you know it. yeah it, it, maybe th- just think about it for just a minute maybe just stop and just kind of yeah. maybe just take a second and say I mean they're not being violent or or doing awful things because we did we the next crowd was at uh, the police were there constantly and I think that you know it yeah. was it was really a mess so I
1: and just like the general population right the general population have people who commit crimes and people who don't housed people commit crimes and then some housed people do not right so there's there's sure there's gonna be people who do things (laughs) yeah and there's a lot (laughs) and and here's my plug for this (laughs) there are a lot of housed people who do drugs (laughs) and it does not affect their housing it's really important to remember a lot of housed people do drugs and it does not affect their housing. And we hold those people to a different standard. We hold them to a really different standard when they're housed and do drugs. And I think it's important to remember that, in and of itself, that's really not the real issue here. The real issue is all of these cycles, all of these things holding people back, all of these barriers, not having a this document, not having a that, not being able to get to appointments on time, not charging your cell phone, not being able to have a safe place to sleep. Those are the things that really keep people homeless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything
0: on the horizon we should be watching out for paying attention to legislation
1: candidates? Um, I think that in general that there's many different candidates, you know, this is 2022. So this is a big year for, uh, elections kind of all over, um, from small to big to, to everywhere. So for anyone listening, um, I would say to listen to what candidates views are on homelessness, because they'll probably have something in their platform about it because it's a big issue and to listen carefully that they are talking about solutions to homelessness that are not all just people making better choices or we're going to get them off the
0: streets so you don't have to see them. Yes.
1: Yes, yes. Because if, if all the solutions to homelessness revolve around people choosing to not be homeless, well, then we would have already solved it. If, if, if you could just will yourself into being not homeless, then there wouldn't be a homeless problem. If it was just about people feeling bad for the choices they make, gosh, we wouldn't make bad choices anymore. But that isn't enough. We need more policy decisions. So when you listen to candidates talk about it, if they say things like, you know, making sure that people take responsibility for their homelessness and stuff like that, it's not to say that people don't have responsibility. They absolutely do. But solving the homelessness crisis can't start with the people experiencing it. Right. We as a society are responsible for them becoming homeless. So we as a society need to figure out how To help them out of it. So when candidates talk like that, that's something to look for. Um, The other thing is when there's affordable housing legislation coming up, make sure to really look into that. Don't just listen to what people say. Don't just listen to the ads because the ads are paid for. And all of the ads, regardless of the side, are usually for people who have money in the game. So actually research. And if you can, I really encourage read the text of the bills. I know that sounds like a lot, but for those of you out there listening who have time and who, you know, have a warm, comfy house and you can sit there on a Saturday morning with a cup of coffee and read through things, really do it to be informed and then tell your friends. And if you have questions, ask people questions. If you're not sure what it's like, you know, to serve people experiencing homelessness, contact any of your local service providers and I guarantee you, and I know I'm speaking for other people here, but I think they will want to talk to you about that experience, uh, the Housing Matters campus um, over on Coral Street, they have open houses where people can come and ask questions. So, uh, my my advice is to really just get involved and stay involved, even if that's only just with information, and then help bust myths. When you hear a person, you know, at a party, say, "Oh, eighty percent of homeless people are from blah blah blah," just just say, "No, no, 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 no." you know, and and you can be kind about it. You don't have to be angry about it. Just let people know the truth. Honestly, it's not, it's not about changing their minds. You know, they can feel whatever they want to feel, but if they're going to say facts, you might as well make sure they have the right ones. So those are some, some things that I feel are concrete that everyone can do is just learn a little more information, keep a little empathy in mind, and then make sure that people are saying true facts.
0: Yeah. And look for the resources that have someone who's actually working with the homeless kind of named on that Yeah, Not just
1: your neighbor, Debbie, down the street, who's seen five homeless people walk in front of her house, you know, like that's that that's not going to cut it for data and information.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or next door.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And please, if you can, I know this sounds like a lot and it maybe is a big ask, but If you are on some sort of social media thread and people are saying a lot of misinformation, please gently, kindly, and compassionately try and set them straight. And if not, you can just go ahead and tag me and I will try and help you out there because I'm really big at meeting people where they're at. I'm serious about that. My Facebook name is Tatiana Stone. You just go ahead and tag me in something. And if you're not sure about the stats, I'll look them up for you because that really matters to me that we have the right information out there. Right. And for organizations like Wings that I work with, it makes it really hard for us to do our work when misinformation is out there. Yeah. So even if you can't donate money to organizations, just make sure that there's the right information so that everyone can support us in this really important work that we're doing, this life-changing work.
0: Very good. Very good. Well, I really appreciate you being on. I I, I want to cut it short. I've seen, it, well, I cut it short. It's been a while because I could just keep going. I could just keep talking about this. Um, I, I realize there's bad actors, and I don't want to discount, but there, like you said, there's bad actors everywhere, and I meet those too. I own a laundromat, and I work with housed people who 99.95% are very good people, but there are a few people that just, they just, for whatever reason, say can't be good. <laughs> So there's a slice of life out there. You have to make sure that you understand it's it's going to happen in all facets. It's not just these mm-hmm. guys and, you know, yeah. and we've all, we've all met them. So I really appreciate that. Maybe you could come on again soon. You know what I need to do is have wings on. Just, I'd love to have Peggy and Caroline on. I know Peggy's yes. a little shy, but I'd love to have them on. So <laughs> yeah. And then I will hopefully soon be joining the streets team c- council. And so I'll be doing some mm-hmm. stuff with them on the That's podcast wonderful. too. So,
1: yeah. And for people who out there who are looking for meaningful volunteer opportunities, um, wings has some really great ones. So feel
0: free. they contact. do. And it's one of the, 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 best organizations that let you kind of figure out where and how you want to work. We, we kind of figured out a niche for me and it's just perfect. So that's the other great thing about them too, is they're very flexible on how you can work with them. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. Now, how can yes, people find you? Yes, thank you so you? much let's, for having me. Let's plug you here really quick.
1: Yeah, so uh, Wings Advocacy, the organization is www.wingsadvocacy.org. Okay. That's wingsadvocacy.org. You can find us on Instagram and you can find us on Facebook. Um, And we look forward to seeing you there.
0: Awesome. Thank you again.